Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it is great to see you guys this morning. We're keeping up at where we left off in Luke. If you have your Bibles, go over to Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Luke 5. Verse 12, and uh, here we go. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We see this beautiful demonstration of faith here. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. Now the other uh, gospel accounts tell us that Jesus tells him not to tell anyone, but instead he tells everyone. Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their Sicknesses. I, I want to show you this morning. I, I believe that this story paints a beautiful picture of what God desires to do in our life. It paints this incredible picture of really the essence of the gospel, the essence of the good news of why Jesus came. And, and, and so here, here's the first thing that we see in this story. We see this recognition of the desperation of our situation. See, the thing is, nobody in the ancient world was in a more desperate situation than a Leper in, in the Bible times, uh, the word leprosy in the Bible could was sort of this all-encompassing term of uh, that could be used uh, to to speak of a handful of different diseases of the skin that ended up being disfiguring and uh, debilitating, and and these uh, many of these diseases were contagious. And so, if you were a leper, your your life was limited in every single area. We see in Leviticus chapter thirteen and verse forty-five says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So there was this great uh, concern that if, if one person had leprosy, that it would spread to all. So if you had leprosy, you, ha- you could not live in community. You had to live outside. You weren't allowed to come into town. You, you, you were, were isolated. You were only allowed to be with other lepers. And so this affected every area of your life, not simply physically, although that was terrible, but, but also a, you were usually not able to, to maintain employment, so it caused this economic poverty and this incredible isolation. And so there was nobody in a more desperate situation in the ancient world than a leper. And so what we see here in this story is this guy takes desperate measures. Luke five twelve. Jesus was in one of the towns and a man came along who was covered with leprosy. First of all, this guy wasn't even supposed to be in town. 
This guy wasn't supposed to be getting close to people. A leper wasn't supposed to be within six feet uh, of, a, uh, uh, of, of someone that doesn't have leprosy. Or if the wind was blowing from the direction that the leper was coming, a leper wasn't supposed to be within 150 feet of someone without leprosy. But this guy comes into town. He's going against everything that was normal, everything that would have been seen as appropriate. He comes into town, and, and he saw Jesus. He fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What we see here is this guy is in an incredibly desperate situation where, where he's willing to try anything. Have you ever been in a spot like that where you were desperate enough to try almost anything? Uh, Claire is a, uh, a big time believer in the chiropractor. Goes a couple times a month at least. I, however, and if you're a chiropractor, no offense. Um, you know, whenever you say no offense, whatever you're about to say could be offensive. Rule of thumb, no offense. But historically, I've seen chiropractors as just a step above a witch doctor. And uh, I guess I'm speaking to a room full of chiropractors all of a sudden? What in the world? But there's been a handful of times in my life, the first of which was when we were at Disneyland, and the nature of the shuttles at Disneyland is if, you, uh, if you're not looking where you're going, you might hit your head, and, uh, and I did. And, and so then my neck was so jacked, I didn't wanna go to Disneyland or do anything else. I was just in great pain. I missed the first day. I just was kind of just hung out at the hotel the whole day, thinking I'd feel better the next day. The next day I felt no better, and I just thought, I don't even believe in chiropractors, but I'm willing to try anything right now. And that's the situation this guy's in. His life is so in such a desperate situation. He's heard this guy Jesus is able to heal people and he, he, he's had this disease for a, likely a very long period of time. It's ruined pretty much every aspect of his life. No one has touched him for years. It's ruined him financially. It's ruined him physically. It's ruined him relationally. And he's in this desperate situation. And, and I, I believe that many times it's moments like that where there's people who say, I don't even know if I even believe in God but I'm so desperate. I'm willing to give him a try and see if maybe he's real. That's what's going on with this guy. He's, he's in this incredibly desperate situation. I'm here to let you know, since I'm speaking to a room full of chiropractors, that, uh, that I went to chiropractor Orange County and it did help me. And I became at least a chiropractic agnostic. And so um, I... Uh, but what we see is this guy's in a desperate situation. And here, what we see in the Bible is this. Leprosy is, is a picture of sin in the Bible. Uh, the first mention of leprosy was to Moses' sister as a punishment for her sin. And so because of that, leprosy was oftentimes seen as having like a spiritual significance, right or wrong. And so it's this, it's this picture of sin. And we see these similarities in that sin and leprosy both cause pain. Sin and leprosy both also cause numbness. See, as much as leprosy caused pain, the, the, the greatest damage of leprosy would come when, when people would, would no longer be able to feel pain. 
So they would, not, they would not know if they were being, that would be why people many times would lose fingers and toes and parts of the body because they wouldn't know when they had an infection and they wouldn't know when they had a wound and they wouldn't know when too much pressure was being applied to a limb and so pieces of the body would fall off. There was this numbness and the nature of sin is it begins to have a numbing effect that the more you sin, the less aware you are of the sin in your life. There's this spiritual numbness and just like leprosy, sin can seem to be prone to spreading and, and it affects our relationships with people. And, and, and the thing about leprosy is it also had this effect of, on people's relationship with God. But because they were, were, were declared as ceremonially unclean, they weren't allowed to be a part of the worshiping community, could never go to synagogue or, or temple. There was this, all of these effects. So here's what we see. The thing about leprosy and the thing about sin, the way in which they are identical is this is both would mess up every area of your life and both ultimately bring death. And so what we see in this leper is this picture of the desperation, the desperate situation that we all find ourselves in because of sin apart from Jesus. And so that's what Jesus is talking about when he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed is the person who recognizes just how desperately they need God's help. And so this leper clearly is in a desperate situation. He goes against everything normal, goes into town, gets close to people, all the things he wasn't supposed to do, gets on his face and, and says, Lord, the, he's calling, he says, God, I, I, need your, I need your help. If you're willing, you can make me clean. We see this picture of the desperation of our spiritual situation. The next thing we see is, is a personification of transformation through substitution. Let me show you this, Luke 5, 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean and immediately the leprosy left him. Now, the nature of the Jewish ceremonial law, the only thing worse than touching a dead body would be touching someone, the only thing worse than touching someone with leprosy would be touching a dead body. And so if someone touched somebody with leprosy, at that moment, they would then become ceremonially unclean. And, and according to Jewish ceremonial law, they would have to go through these various purification rituals before they were able to be around people or before they were able certainly to worship. And so what happens here is, is Jesus does this, the unthinkable, Jesus touches the man, and in that moment, the man becomes clean, and, and in a sense, Jesus, according to Jewish ceremonial law, at that moment became unclean. Now, what we see is this picture of the essence of the gospel, the great exchange, Jesus as our substitute, Jesus taking on himself all that's broken with us while we take upon ourselves everything that is perfect about him, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I love how Tim Keller talks about this. Jesus Christ comes and touches him and says the most astounding thing Jesus shatters all the categories because when Jesus touches him, by the Old Testament ceremonial law, by the way in which religion works, Jesus should have to now go and get purified, but he doesn't, does he? No way, why? Jesus doesn't say, whoops, now I'm unclean. Jesus says, I love this, I am cleanliness. I am cleanness. I break all of the categories. 
Not only can't you make me unclean, but no matter how defiled you are, no matter how stained you are, no matter how tainted, no matter who you are or what you've done, no matter what your record is, the minute I touch you, you're fit for the presence of God. The minute I touch you, my cleanness becomes your cleanness. Why? How is that possible? Because Jesus says, I'm not one more religious leader telling you how to make yourself fit for the presence of God. I am the fitness for the presence of God. If you just touch me, if you just come into contact with me, instantly, that minute, you're in. How could that so what we see here is this picture where Jesus touches the man. The man instantly becomes clean. In that moment, according to Jewish ceremonial law, Jesus would have been considered unclean. It's this picture of this great exchange. Jesus as our substitute, taking the punishment we deserve upon himself and that we receive all that is perfect in him. And we see this idea of Jesus as our substitute all through the Old Testament, these types and these pictures pointing to all the way from when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac and he's up on the mountain and, and then the voice of God says, hey, don't sacrifice the boy. There's this lamb there in the thicket, in the bush, that he is the one. It's this picture of this substitute and when, as a part of the uh, as a, a part of the uh, uh, atonement with the old testament sacrifices this idea is, is this uh, these people would lay the, their hands on the animal to signify that the animal would that the sins of the person going onto the animal as this substitute was pointing to Jesus who would ultimately come to take our place to take the punishment we deserve Isaiah 53 is this kind of super clear picture of this let me show it to you it says, this is written six, 700 years before Jesus would come. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. That's what Jesus did for this leper here. He, he made him clean. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. That word transgression, just a word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word for sin. The punishment that brought us peace, remember that word peace, shalom, the punishment that brought us peace or shalom was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. It's this picture of Jesus taking all of uh, everything unclean about us upon himself and giving everything clean about him to us. Dr. Paul Brandt. Was, was one of the greatest experts in leprosy ever to live, spent years and years among uh, in, uh, leper colonies in India. And he would spend time with these folks, and one time they asked him to speak to them, and, and, and here's what he said. He said, I'm a hand surgeon, so when I meet people, I can't help looking at their hands. I would like to have examined Christ's hands. With the nails driven through, they must have appeared twisted and crippled. Remember, Jesus at the end was crippled too. It's this idea of, of Jesus as our substitute, that Jesus lived the perfect life we never could and then died in our place. Here's the third thing we see from this story. We see an illustration of the completion of our restoration. Why did Jesus touch the leper? The easy answer is to say to heal him. But, but the fact is, Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him. Jesus many times would, would simply just heal by his words. Your faith has made you well. 
uh, he didn't have to touch him to heal him. In fact, we saw occasions where Jesus would not even be in the same room or the same vicinity. The story of the, the centurion coming to Jesus saying, hey, you don't even have to be there to, to heal my son. I, I believe you could do it even from a distance. Jesus didn't even have to touch him, didn't even have to be there. Why did Jesus touch him? Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus touched the man because he was interested in doing more than healing him physically. I believe Jesus was, I believe there was for sure a spiritual element going on here when, where Jesus says that, that you're now clean. That, that word clean as, would speak of, of, of more than just this physical healing, but it also would carry these spiritual connotations. But I believe what Jesus was doing here was even something beyond simply physical or spiritual healing. Imagine no one touching you for years and years. Now, some of you might be touch freaks, and you're like, I'd love it if no one touched me for years and years. But most people, the idea of no one touching you, not a hug for years and years, not a handshake or a pat on the back for years and years and years, and, and there's this sense in which when Jesus touches the man, He's saying, I'm, 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 I'm no doubt here to change what's going on with you physically. And there's, I believe there's this spiritual element where Jesus declares him clean, but there's also this emotional aspect. There's this, there, there's this saying, hey, you, you, you are now gonna be restored emotionally. But there's also this restoration into community. Let me show this to you. Luke chapter five, verse 14. Don't tell anyone. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why did Jesus tell him to go to the priest? I think there's a couple, two or three reasons. One is that would be so he would be abiding by the Jewish ceremonial law. But that's not the primary reason, I don't think, because Jesus by Jewish ceremonial law, would have needed to go through some of, of that rigmarole, and Jesus doesn't seem to do it, and so I don't think that's the main reason. Now, Jesus says as a testimony to them, I think Jesus for sure sending a message to the religious leaders, but here's what I think Jesus was, was ultimately doing. He, he was seeking that this man might, might be restored into the community. That he might, but that, that, that the Jewish leaders would look and say, oh, indeed, you have been healed of leprosy, and now you are welcomed back, and you no longer have to live outside of town, and you no longer have to go around saying unclean and unclean, and now you're able to work, no longer living in poverty, and now you're able to come and worship with everyone else, and, and there's this idea that, that Jesus was interested in this man's holistic flourishing. It wasn't simply a physical transaction. And I think sometimes when we think about our relationship with God, we're, we're thinking just it's simply a spiritual transaction where I have my sins forgiven and heaven as my home. And if that was all it was, that would be awesome. But, but what we see here, I think, is that Jesus' heart for us in this life and then in all fullness in the next is this idea of complete flourishing, not just things being made right physically or spiritually, but also emotionally and also relationally, this kind of holistic flourishing. When, when the Bible uses the word peace, this, it's from this Hebrew word shalom, that's what it's talking about. It's this idea of wholeness. When Jesus says, I'm the prince of peace, it's not simply a, the absence of war. It's this idea or conflict that meant wholeness and completeness throughout all creation. It meant the end of injustice. It meant things being the way they were originally supposed to be, the way they should be and the way they one day will be. Alvin Plantinga's 
probably the, the uh, greatest uh, known Christian uh, living philosopher. Uh, here's what he had to say about this whole idea of shalom. He says, what a wonderful word shalom is. It has all the connotations of peace in English, but includes a whole lot more. It means not simply psychological ease, but a holistic sense of fulfillment, well-being, and flourishing. What we see with Jesus and this leper is he's interested in this guy flourishing in every aspect, not simply being healed of a disease. He wants him to be healed emotionally and be restored to community. He says that kind of comprehensive shalom peace is what the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah envisioned for the future. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood, and all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean towards God, and delight in God. You see, Jesus came lived the perfect life we never could, died the death we deserved to die, rose from the dead so, so that, that we might begin even in this life as his spirit is working, transforming us into the character of Christ, that, that, that he would be working in every area of our life, moving us more and more towards this holistic flourishing and then one day Jesus is going to come again and he's going to make everything wrong in the world right, and there will be no more weeping, and there'll be no more sadness and sickness and crying and dying. And so what we see here with Jesus and this man is that, is that God's heart for us, both in this life and ultimately, is to make everything holistic flourishing, to heal all the wounds and all the different pockets of our lives. In a moment, we're gonna take communion together. And uh, if you have these elements here, in a moment we'll take this bread, which Jesus said was a picture of his body. And we'll take this juice, which Jesus said was a picture of his blood. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about as we take communion today, I want you to just to think about just the, the, the reality of, of the desperation of, of our situation apart from Christ that just like this leper realized just how much he desperately needed help to where he, he went into town even though he wasn't supposed to and he got close to Jesus even though he wasn't supposed to and he, and, and he uh, got down on his knees in front of Jesus saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This picture of, of leprosy is a picture of sin and how desperately we need God's help. And as we take communion, let it be a reminder of, of Jesus willingly taking our place, that just as Jesus touched that man, making himself ceremonially unclean, that that man might become clean. It's this picture that Jesus on that cross took everything broken and wrong with me, every lie I've ever told, ever thought, every thought I've ever thought that wasn't right. He took all of those sins upon himself for me and from you, the ultimate substitute taking our place, that, that, that this trade might happen where we might receive everything perfect about Jesus, where everything wrong about us went on him as our substitute. And, and that in this 
moment we might just recognize that one day, that, that as followers of Jesus, that the, the Holy Spirit is, is working inside of us, working in every area of our life, that God's heart for us is this holistic flourishing and that one day Jesus is going to come again and that one day everything wrong in the world will be made right. John Ortberg in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, tells the story of Saint Damien of Molokai. Father Damien was a priest who became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. He moved to Kalawao, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii that had been quarantined to serve as a leper colony. For 16 years, he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds, embraced the bodies no one else would touch, preached to hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it was said, Kalawao became a place to live rather than just a place to die. For Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from his people. He dipped his fingers into the poi bowl with the other, with the patients. He shared his pipe. He did not always wash his hands after bandaging open sores. He got close, and for this, the people loved him. Then one day, he stood up and began his sermon with two words, we lepers. See, he wasn't just helping them, he was now one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island, he was in their skin. First he had chosen to live as they lived, now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. And what we see in this Catholic priest from 150, 200 years ago is we see this picture of God, the God who would come close, the, the God who, who would, would take on himself all of our diseases, all of our sins, all of our brokenness, that we might ultimately experience all of his beauty and all of his healing and all of his forgiveness. And so let's pray. So Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for his body broken for us. We thank you for his blood shed for us. Lord, we thank you that he did live the perfect life we never could. Lord, we thank you that he chose to be our substitute, taking everything that we deserve for our sin upon himself, taking our sin upon himself, dying in our place. Lord, we rejoice that he rose from the dead. And so Father, I pray that even in this moment, as we take these elements, as we reflect back Lord, that, that in this moment, God, that even, that maybe some people, even for the first time, might have just a recognition of, of, of the wonder of your love for us, that you're not just a God who says you love us, but you proved it in Christ dying in our place, and that the wonder of your love, Lord, for those of us 
that, it's, that, that wouldn't be for the first time, Lord, that you'd give us a refreshed wonder of the beauty of the cross, of the wonder of your love, of all that the difference that the cross and the resurrection make. God, that, that you would meet with us in a meaningful way, that your spirit would work in our hearts as we take this bread and we drink this juice. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Father, again, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we look forward to that moment when Jesus will come again and we will take communion face to face with him, with all the saints throughout all history that the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we will take communion face to face with Jesus. And in that time, there will be no more sickness and there will be no more sadness and there will be no more crying and there will be no more dying, but that everything wrong in the world and everything wrong with us will be made right forever and ever and ever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.